Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career path away from employment by exploring the franchise community. My name's Ed Pennell, and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts, and leaders from across the franchise community, discovering their life stories and hearing their tips for success away from the typical nine to five grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Niri Patel, the UK master franchisee for the health and fitness brand Fit20. Niri himself is an accomplished international speaker, trainer, entrepreneur, and contributing author to the New York Times bestseller, Masters of Success. He's also had a varied career starting out as an actuarial, and more recently as the franchisor for BNI in India, and as a franchisee for BNI based in Yorkshire, UK. In this chat, I'm hoping to find out how and why Neary changed careers after starting uh, in such a well-paid career in London. I'm also a bit curious to find out what Fit20 is all about. Is it just a 20-minute run on a treadmill, or is there something more to it? Whatever the answer, we're about to find out in this interview with Neary Patel, the master franchisee for Fit20. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll catch you on the other side. So, Neary Patel, welcome to The Disenfranchised. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ed. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Good. Well, I, I'm very happy to have you here. And um, I've seen the brand around quite a bit in the franchising industry and um, kind of curious around what makes you different from other brands in the fr- the fitness space. So uh, looking forward to get, getting sort of stuck into that. But we've had a brief chat beforehand and I know you've got a really interesting um, career story and, and, and life that uh, I want to share. So uh, we're going to go through that as well. But before we do, I would just like I do with everybody else, I'd love to know what was your first job? My first job part-time was working in a jewellery store as a okay. sales assistant. Um, I was terrible at it because I was an awkward, shy teenager. <laughs> Those of you that know London, it was, I don't know if it's still there now, but it was at Finchley Road Station on the MetLine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was this one of the, the big brands or was this a, a small independent? It was a small independent. Um, the owner was more interested in gambling. So I would be left there trying to sell stuff. Never managed it because I was awful at it, as I say. Um, <laughs> and he was off um, at the bookies. Oh, nice. OK. <laughs> and um, I mean, there must be some trust there from him, right? Or does, uh, yeah, doesn't care so. or yeah, one yeah, or the I, other? I, but. I, Either that, uh, I think it was his trust was not misplaced in me, um, but either that or he preferred gambling to selling his jewelry and watches. <laughs> but when when I think about it, you know, you you own a jewelry store. There's there's a fair bit amount of money in stock on in the shop, right? Um, you know, asset value. To trust that to how old were you at the time? Seventeen, eighteen, maybe. I'm guessing. Oh, I would have been 14 or 15. Wow. To trust yeah. that somebody at that young age, it seems crazy to me. Um, I don't expect too many people are doing it nowadays, are they? No, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it wasn't um, high-end. Yeah, but still. Yeah, but um, it was all nine-carat plated stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. I think uh, there must have been a fair bit of inventory there. Yeah. Interesting. So at 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 this point, um, did did young Neary know what he wanted to do with his career? Obviously, you said you was fairly nervous, sort of working there. But uh, did you have your eyes set on on another type of career? Yeah, I think I was very clear. I did not want to work in retail (laughs) jewelry after that experience. (laughs) Don't get me wrong; he was a lovely man and his wife um, that ran that business. But uh, you know, I just felt so awkward and all out to see. I. I just knew it wasn't going to be for me. Um, And it was only really until after I graduated university that I thought, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and work in the city because that's what everyone was doing at the tail end of the 80s. Yeah. Um, And I was really just following the crowd. It wasn't as if I'd had an epiphany to say, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I just followed along. Uh, And even then, I wasn't really clear what I wanted to do, Ed. Um, but okay. when I got into my first job, within a few weeks, I started to have this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach on a Sunday night. And it was the Sunday night blues. Um, you know, we get the Monday morning blues. I, I used to get the Sunday night blues. <laughs> and then I had an hour's commute into work, packed in like a sardine on the tube in London, and then an hour commute home, uh, whenever that was in the 
uh, late or early evening. And through the day, all I could think was, you know, when does this end? So really? I knew at that stage, something shifted in me that told me I, I don't want to be on this um, trajectory for the rest of my life. You know, what looked like 40 hours a week for 40 years of my life um, to get a pension and, well, hopefully make it to a pension. But I, I, was, I was thoroughly miserable and unfulfilled. And I started thinking then that maybe, maybe, maybe if I could just come up with some sort of idea of some sort of business, I could work for myself and be more in control of my working hours, lifestyle, hopefully make a bit of money, you know. Uh, yeah. And that, that's when the seed of uh, self-employment stroke entrepreneurship started to really germinate in my mind. Fantastic. I, I want to come back to that in a moment because I, I want to understand what you said you kind of followed the crowds. Um, so what, what what were you doing at uni and um, what were the crowd doing that kind of and, and what was it attractive about where the crowd was going that kind of made you want to to, to follow them? Because I, I'm assuming maybe it's money or something like this or maybe it's just the scene. You know, what 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 was uh, kind of going through your mind at that point going between uni and your, your you know, working in the city? Yeah, so what, what I was doing at uni and what I was supposed to be doing were two different things. Terrible, <laughs> but, you know, I got a degree, but not an education. Um, I was studying for an honours degree in civil engineering at Bristol. Okay. It was you know, a very prestigious course. Uh, yeah. I managed to get through that and pass. And then um, my flatmate at the time was um, studying mathematics. And okay. he'd always said he was going to be an actuary. Now, I'd never heard of one of these things. I thought it was something to do with birds or something. <laughs> but actually, you know, an actuary is somebody who works in the city in finance and is very, very brainy and very well paid. It's yeah. a really tough qualification to get. So it appealed to my sense of ego, I guess. Uh, he said he was going to do that. And um, I, I said, well, you know, I don't have a maths degree, so I couldn't possibly do that. Could I? And I said, well, you just need a numerate degree. Uh, okay and you're in so i applied for three jobs and got three offers i was obviously very good at interviewing um, but then when the reality of the job um, actually kicked in i just thought this is not my thing yeah uh, but to answer your question about what were the crowd doing i guess most people were on what um, i don't know if they still call it this giving my age away now um, but they were called the milk crowds where okay. the big employers and the big corporations would come to university and put on events and tell you why you should go work for them and how um, working with them would set you up for life and your career and all that sort of thing. So it was it was really when my uh, flatmate um, said that he wanted to be an actor, I thought, well, okay, we'll do that. And I filled out my applications and I was surprised to get these three interviews. And then I was equally surprised to get these three offers. So that, <laughs> that's what I did. You know, I wanted to be well paid. It was the money that drew me to it. And I thought that having a ton of money would 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 be what it's all about. Yeah. Until uh, I it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it was was it the um the work? Was it the hours? What what was it those kind of giving you the Sunday blues? Um, I think I'd gone into something that I didn't really know I was going into. Yeah. In short, but also the type of work, you know, I was, I was reasonable at it, but if your heart's not in something, you can't excel at it. And if you can, you can't sustain excelling at it. So I, I went on a journey for a small number of years trying to find what I felt was my calling, if you like, you know, something that I could do that was work, but didn't feel like work. And I would happily <laughs> do for hours, um, even if I didn't get paid. And obviously if I could get paid, then that's a bonus. Okay. So that's that's what you, you decided to do kind of to try and break out of that. So follow the passion rather than the the, the money, so to speak. Um, what, what sort of things were you looking at then? What did what were your passions at the time? Um, so I was, I was reasonably sporty at the time, having not been sporty at a younger age. Um, to be fair, I was open um, to most things because honestly, I had no clue what I would do. I, I remember I used to buy the Financial Times um, every day that it was available and I would read through it in the hope that, so, so I had this bit of insight, rightly or wrongly, that whatever starts in the States makes its way 
and this is going back to the 80s and 90s, makes its way to the UK in five or 10 years. I think yeah. it happens a lot more quickly now. So I would read through and see, well, what are they reporting on? Because we didn't have the internet back then. And if we did, I didn't know about it. And I would read through and think, well, what are the trends? And I saw things like McDonald's and KFC and food franchises were coming over. But that wasn't something that struck well with me. Yeah. Um, and I would look at things. And uh, actually, the first business I went into was window cleaning with an old school friend. OK, cool. And my market research was he looked really happy when he whenever I saw him. And he would start at seven or eight in the morning and by one or two, he would be done. I thought, that's my kind of hours. Yeah. <laughs> we started with that. It lasted about five months. Um, he had a bit of an addiction to drugs. Okay. Yeah. Later on. And he would always be willing to go and collect the money while I sat in the van. And I thought, oh, that's nice. It's raining outside. You go do that. But of course, it was because he was pocketing some of the cash. So that was my... Uh, first business venture that ended very quickly yeah that's that's a shame but um it's, it's interesting i think um some of the services the service industries um people forget about as a, an entrepreneurial opportunity don't they I, I know kind of when i was thinking what can i do next at one point in my career i, I kind of never thought about it even though i started off my early career d doing kind of a service-based role um and actually, I look at some of the franchises around now, and there's so many people that have left the corporate world to go into just being outdoors and and meeting people face to face. And and th there's something um, really nice about that interaction, I think, isn't there? Um, I don't know if you felt the same, you know, the with the, the customer providing a good service, then being happy and and getting paid for that. Um, yes and no, because it involved knocking on doors to say, do you want your windows to? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's always a downside, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't as shy and as awkward, but I'm still a bit shy and it's still still a bit awkward and still a bit introvert. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair enough. And I, I guess that's a real big change from kind of that corporate world where you're, you're, you're kind of fed the work, aren't you, really, rather than knocking on doors, so to speak, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So where, where did you, I mean, did that dampen your kind of um, spirits in terms of being an entrepreneur and, and setting up your own business or did you sort uh, of plow on from there? Yeah, momentarily, absolutely did. You know, it took me from being there to straight back down. Um, but, you know, I licked my wounds and reassessed um, and I couldn't think what I would do next, having had my first business failure yeah but I, I learned some things as I reflected on in hindsight and I actually went to work back in the city again because okay. I'd been you know it, it was a good number of months that I wasn't earning and I thought right I need to go do something so let's go do that so I went to work in the city still hating it but a little bit less and all the time I had you know um, I was at work but my mind wasn't on the work my heart definitely was not there I was always looking over my shoulder for an opportunity. Um, and it was around this time that um, through a period of recurring ill health that I was um, sat at home in bed reading a book. And it was all about health and wellness. And um, I thought, wow, this is amazing. So it could be that my symptoms are related to my diet and my lifestyle. Okay. And I implemented things that I'd read in this book. Um, it wasn't a book on nutrition. It was a book on success by a chap called Tony Robbins. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was a book called Unlimited Power. And it was, I think, the seventh or the eighth chapter. And it was called Physiology, the Avenue of Excellence. That was the title of the chapter. About 13 or 14 pages I read it. And I thought, this just makes sense. I'm going to try this. And within four weeks, I had more energy. I wasn't feeling poorly. Um, lost a bit of extra weight. Some of my eczema cleared up. And people started saying, hey, you used to be so miserable and down. What's happened to you? So I would evangelize about these things that I was doing. It was essentially a vegan type lifestyle, which back yeah. then was considered very, very weird. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, and people that started doing the same thing got similar benefits and results. And I thought, you know what? This could be the thing. But I didn't know how to monetize it or turn it into a business. And what was eventually... Um, starting to happen is people were starting to word of mouth what I was teaching them and then somebody's aunt would phone me up and I was getting calls at work and I thought this isn't good 
you know, whilst I'm happy to have some money, it's not a good way to carry on. Um, maybe I should just quit the day job and start consulting. And that's what I started doing. I started teaching people what I'd learned. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Because, I mean, you're taking knowledge from, from elsewhere and I guess putting it into a format that is more palatable for individuals. So they could go out there and read that book, right? But coming from you and and explaining first your first-hand experiences of that, probably... Um, it's probably very similar to what um, I'm, I'm thinking into your, your world nowadays, like, like a personal trainer does that, right? In, in, in many ways, they take the practices of somebody else and then puts it into a format that is digestible to the everyday person, so to speak. Um, Absolutely. So and also, um, one of the things I've recognized now with the benefit of hindsight is I've always loved to figure out a problem or something I didn't understand, like at school. Uh, my father, when he was working, always taught uh, secondary level um, sciences. So education was a really important value for us uh, as a family. Um, and therefore, I had this pressure that I had to do well at school. So if I didn't understand something, I was like, oh, God, I've got to figure this out. You know, <laughs> whether my dad would have approved or not, for me, not understanding it is a different issue. But in my own mind, I built up this thing that I've got to figure this out. So I've always had this kind of drive to figure it out. And in figuring it out, very often simplifying and yeah. making the idea more understandable or more easily understandable. Um, so that would always give me a buzz when I helped somebody else in my class or my school to figure something out. It didn't happen very often, but when it did, it was like one of these, this is what it's about moments. And I think with having read that book and applying it myself, I was able to look at, okay, I, I get the theory of it, but how do you actually apply it? And what are the potential pitfalls that I could help you or whoever it was overcome this in a more simple yeah. way that becomes more sustainable? And of course, if you do something, you're more likely to get the result than if you just read about it. Yeah, totally. No, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and I'd like to take that kind of approach and logic and put it back to you and say, what what would you tell yourself when you were younger thinking, I don't know what to do next? How would you kind of now having that experience of, of being an entrepreneur and, and kind of providing solutions to people, how would you solve that problem for uh, younger Neary? And, and for many other people that listen to this, of course, yeah, you know, it's, who, it's, it's I, I, I've been there myself. I've gotten, I don't know what I want to do. I ended up putting up marquees, right? Because it was the easiest thing to do available to me at that time. So um, yeah. Be interesting to hear what how you would solve that problem well it's a it's a, it's a million dollar question and you know <laughs> I've got a 20 year old and a 15 year old that we're sort of working through this in in real time um but i i think you know at the time it didn't feel good and a lot of it was to do with the pressure you put on yourself because you're thinking people are going to judge you or think a certain way usually less of you if you haven't got your path mapped out so you know oh, I'm going to be an aeronautical engineer I'm going to become an actor or whatever it is but it's not really the answer you, you think you know but you don't know and, and I guess the advice I would give is it's okay to not know as long as you're looking and keep looking and look at the things that interest you and that you love and look at the things that you hate and that polarity will help you figure out what you definitely shouldn't go and do. And it will draw you closer to what you should do. And figuring out what the job is, once you know what you love, you start looking at that, you dive into it. it I think it comes to you eventually. It's, um, I, 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 I think you're, you're bang on, by the way, with, with that advice. But it sometimes sounds really fluffy, doesn't it? You know, just find out what you like doing and go and do that, right? But I, I've I've done it myself firsthand. I actually sat down and wrote down everything so I could see it clear as day. Um, right, I'm good at you know uh, the beginning of a project, and I'm I enjoy kind of the excitement of coming up with ideas, uh, creative. But I hate repetitiveness and and X Y Z. And I was sort of sitting there going, well, what what does that sound like? What role does that fit? And I think actually in today's world, we're quite lucky we have things like ChatGPT that can almost you could type in those things and say what would be a good job for me and 
give me a list of opportunities and then you can kind of sift through and, and like you say it's all about going out there and looking it, it took me um well to, to, to where I am now I guess it, it would have taken me 16 17 years to get into the industry I liked um because I was enjoying the work that I was doing at the time but each time I tried to change career it took it took 18 months to two years to do but you're right I didn't give up I just kept on going and going and going until I found that opportunity and yeah you, you can get there in the end can't you and um it's com- com- those two combination of things I think is is really important so I'm totally on board with with you on that one yeah and if I could just add something to that as well Ed um I think it's a lot to do with mindset so if I was and, and I didn't recognize it at the time but by luck or default or whatever I had this mindset which was always going to be looking uh, and, and I think if I was to give any advice to my younger self is is nurture that attitude and that mindset to to look for those things to have that faith to have that self-belief I know it sounds cliched but but actually work on that and work on yourself more than a job and especially you mentioned chat GPT you know I think the the marketplace and the business and job landscape is evolving and changing so fast that what is defined as a job or a career today may not be a defined job or career in five years time it could be something completely different and I think with that mindset and that attitude if you look for the things that you love to do and can add value in it doesn't matter what job you're actually in I did a lot of different jobs that paid me reasonably well to keep me going so I could then eventually land at my passion, if I could call yeah. it that, rather than the job I was doing at the time. And by finding those elements where I had some analytical skills because of my background, and I hated it when I had to do it as a full-time job, but when I was doing a consulting gig with someone and I brought that, it was like, oh, aren't you clever? And I was like, oh, aren't I clever? So, <laughs> you know, what, what you do at a time may not serve you then, but it serves you in future. And that mindset and attitude of always trying to find at least one thing in the day. So I have this thing, slight digression, but I have this thing that I must do something in my work day that is scheduled in that I just love to do. So if it's chatting to someone, if that's your thing, or if it's exercise or whatever. So then the work day always feels like there's a good aspect to it. Because there are elements when you're self-employed or in a job of stuff that you just have to suck up that you don't love to do, but you <laughs> must do it. Otherwise, you know, the business doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, so I think that that mindset helps a lot with um, helping you actually. Because I think if you're flourishing and thriving, people see that. Yeah. And you do a great job, not just a good enough job. And then they start to sort of put you on those projects or tasks more. And you eventually do carve out your own niche, even if you're in a job. Um, and that allows you then to find what your true passion or calling could be more I, easily. I th- I think just talking about what you want to do as well, people then find that link a lot easier, don't they? So if you hide away, I want to be on, I'm just thinking from my own perspective, I want to be on creative projects, but I don't tell anyone I want to be on creative projects. Well, no one's a mind reader, are they? If you talk to your friend, you talk to your boss, you talk to anybody, okay, you might not get it straight away, but when the opportunity comes up, maybe, then, then, um, they know who to turn to, right, to give that opportunity to. So, um, yeah, al- always be looking, but also, um, yeah, don't don't be afraid to voice what you what you want. Um, is that uh, there's that book, isn't it? Is it the secret I read? I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy it, but but if you put it out into the world, it will happen. Is kind of the theory behind it, and um, yeah, I'm starting to kind of see that coming to fruition in in only my own business and. While we're on the mindset piece, I also want to talk about something else that I realized as well in my my career. And that was um, a big thing that, uh, so, so I, ironically enough, I was scrolling through uh, Facebook and I saw a post on there saying, there are two types of people in this world. There are consumers um, and there are creators. And the creators are the ones that are probably making more money than the consumers. The consumers are the ones that are spending money on the stuff that people have created. And when I kind of realized that, I was like, well, if I want to be this creative person, (laughs) then I need to actually create something, don't I? I need to get off my backside and actually go out there and do it. Um, So, yeah, mindset, so important, I think, and um, really, really interesting to hear your your views and opinions on it. But 
I'm conscious we should sort of progress on in, in your career a little bit more. So you were doing some consulting work. Um, was that a, a, a business that was sustainable? Was that kind of what got you up into where you are now? Or, or was there anything else in between? Uh, no, it's absolutely what got me to where I am. There have been a number of stepping stones along the way. Um, and I started doing that. I started helping people mainly around health issues and weight loss, um, et cetera. And then what I started to notice is that I was giving essentially the same body of information to people. And I was continually upgrading my own knowledge base. I spent a lot of time traveling to the States on all sorts of courses because that's where I knew people yeah. um, that were sort of ahead of their field uh, or ahead of their time in this field. And But I just noticed that there was a, a difference where, you know, one person would get the information, another person would get the same information, this person would do it and this person wouldn't. And I thought, what is it that gets some people to implement and execute and get the result and others not to? So I started getting into the whole area of motivational psychology, um, and most of it initially through the Tony Robbins stuff, um, because it made sense, you know, this book he'd written that had been so instrumental and pivotal for me uh, yeah. and my journey. Um, so I started getting into that. And then um, I found that more and more people were coming to me saying, oh, you know, I'm a bit depressed or a bit down, etc. And mental health wasn't um, as well known, or even the phrase itself, I don't know if it even existed at the time, but there were a lot of people who were depressed or some form of that, yeah, um, without necessarily having the label. And I used all the stuff that I had learned to coach people through that. And uh, it ended up being literally about an hour, once only. So as a business, it wasn't good because there was no repeat business. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of feeling really good and fulfilled and making a difference, it was phenomenal. And um, I started to build up a bank of testimonials of people who'd been on all sorts of medication and things like that. Um, obviously working with their doctor because I'm yeah. not a qualified um, psychotherapist or medic or anything. Um, came off medication and leading healthy, happy, normal lives, even to this day, um, 25, 30 years on. So I started to use that to coach and consult with people um, who were having some sort of block invariably the, the reason people do stuff is what's going on there or what isn't going on yeah. there, and the things that I was um, privileged enough to learn uh, through investing my own time and money for my own benefit as much as anyone else's um, I was able to share and get paid for and it was along um, along that uh, journey that I got invited to a BNI meeting business network international okay yeah one more funnily enough I'd just come back from a Tony Robbins event in Hawaii and uh, I landed to a pile of regular mail. Um, we don't get so much now, it's just flyers and leaflets. And there was a handwritten envelope um, in blue ink um, inviting me to a BNI meeting from somebody. I, in fact, we both know this individual, James. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I went along to the meeting and I, and I became a member um, halfway through the meeting because I thought this is fantastic. People are going to actually help me get word of mouth referral business. And the sort of work I do, it lends itself really well to that. And I started to grow a business. So I did that for about two or three months. And then I ended up moving to Yorkshire. Okay, yeah. It was uh, Catherine, my now wife. We'd met at a Tony Robbins event as well. <laughs> um, we, we kept in touch on the phone and she'd invited me up to celebrate her birthday in July, 1999. And I've been in Yorkshire celebrating a birthday ever since. Um, <laughs> we were going to build a future together. <laughs> two or three weeks into it um we stumbled across you know what are we going to do in terms of a job for you Niri because you can't keep going back to London every Thursday for your BNI meeting and consulting with your clients we didn't have things like this back then to do video yeah before. of course um so I, I ended up starting a BNI franchise in the area because the people that uh, brought BNI to the UK pretty much most of the rest of the world outside the US and Canada were friends of mine uh, Martin and Jilly Lawson. And um, so I phoned them up and said, hey, you know, you've been after me to get involved in this thing as a franchisee. I'd like to come and talk. So that was on a Tuesday, the following Saturday. I was with them in London having a conversation. And uh, that's how we got started. Fantastic. Okay. So first of all, have you ever met Tony Robbins? Because it sounds like he's had a massive impact on your on your, on your your life. 
Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. Um, he is literally a larger than life character. He's a six foot seven giant. <laughs> yeah, oh. he's um, he's a lovely, genuine person who really is on a mission to help people do um, do better with the work he does. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. And it and secondly, it sounds like um, you you were perhaps doing the same thing as him, making a, a big difference in people's lives albeit perhaps on a smaller scale and, and understandably so, you know, um, but that, that's really cool. And I can see how that's more enjoyable, more rewarding than the actuary stuff, right? Like, because you, you're getting to see people face to face and you're getting to see how you're making a difference. So that's really cool. Um, so did you continue to run the business alongside the, the B&I business? So at this point you've got two businesses, right? Yeah, I did. That's right. Um, and I never really talked about my consulting stuff, uh, wellness consulting um, in b because when I was at b and I was there only for the people that were in the group. Didn't want any of this conflict of interest or confusion as to yeah. why I was there. Didn't want to have a secondary agenda. Um, but invariably, people would ask, what else do you do? Is this all you do? You know, because uh, the meetings were starting at seven in the morning and finishing by half eight or nine. So they said, so what do you do the rest of the day? I said, oh, there's plenty to do in the background. <laughs> um, do this other stuff um, so I, I would get clients but eventually I, I reached a crossroads where um, the franchise with BNI was growing I had four territories and I'd also taken it to India um, in 2004 that wow. I had to make a choice so I was passing if anyone did find their way to me for health or wellness consultation Unless it was somebody where I thought, oh, this is a really, really interesting uh, situation. I'd love to, you know, test my skills on it and make sure I can help. I would then refer them on to somebody else that I knew and trusted that they would take care of them. Yeah, that's that's, that's interesting. Um, I mean, BNI in a, in a in a way is still helping people, isn't it? Helping them to connect, helping them develop those connections for them, for themselves and for their their business. Um. So I, I feel like, so I like to categorize things into kind of categories as to, to what drives and motivates people. And I think the real motivator for you is making a difference is kind of what I would class it as more so than having control over uh, elements or finding a new challenge. The biggest, big thing for you seems to be making a difference, which is, it's really cool to see. But um, you, you mentioned there about BNI, not wanting to talk about your, the other side of what you do. Um, I see that quite a lot, actually, for myself. I don't. I, I kind of host some events. I hold podcasts, and you know, I'm trying to do stuff to to make an impact and make a difference in in my own way. Um, and I don't go in there selling at all what I'm doing, uh, you know, in the background. But, but the inevitable question does pop up, doesn't it? And I think it's a real big lesson to learn for for anybody who's wanting to get into business or is in business, and that's. Um, you don't always have to sell and actually sometimes it's better just not to it's just nice to be nice and, yeah, and you'll get the rewards off the back of it absolutely you know I, I think I learned very early on that it's better to attract than to promote um, yes. through attraction you're building a relationship you're building trust you're building intrigue curiosity so then when you do have the conversation you've moved up in terms of how they perceive you uh in wanting to have that conversation otherwise you know if i'm trying to sell to you the barriers are up the suspicions are high <laughs> yeah you're just trying to push water uphill with a fork it's just much harder yeah totally agree with that so um so how did you get to to, to fit 20 uk then what was the step from from those two because it sounds like you had um quite a, a a large business there really you know in multiple territories and and international as well that must have been uh, first of all, challenging to to manage, um, but I'm also interested to find how Fit Twenty came about. Yeah, what's what's the segue? What's the yeah, connection? yeah. Um, so I'd promised Catherine um, as far as the India um, business was concerned that it would be ten years because that's a standard franchise um, term for a master franchise. Or um, it took twelve years to get out of it yeah. so that's not bad it's always easier to get into something than out of yeah sure and it was in december 2015 that i stopped being the national director for bni in india 
And in January 2016, I had a call from a fellow BNI national director um, who was running the Benelux countries that I'd built up a good relationship with. And he said, hey, I know you're not doing BNI in India now. And there's this amazing business in the Netherlands. We can't do it here in the Netherlands because it's a Dutch brand. But I think this would be perfect for the UK and you would be the perfect person to do it. Given all your franchising experience and all the stuff that you know and do and passion that you have for health, it would be a really good blend yeah. of skill sets. And I, you know, he was absolutely right. If somebody was going to pitch something to me, those are the two things they would want to say. <laughs> um, at least, you know, they'd be pretty much in the ballpark for getting my attention. Because what I'd noticed with BNI, and it is, you know, it's one of the best things you can do, especially as a smaller business, that it can help larger businesses as well. But the majority of um, people that do well from BNI are at the smaller end of business. It's the best thing you can do for your business. And I saw a lot of people transforming their lives financially through what they did in BNI with yeah, that cool. and how it worked. But I also saw a lot of people doing it at the cost of their health. Yeah, not, not, not so good. good. Not just the members, but also franchisees and people in my teams, you know. Um, and that was hard for me. And and I always felt, you know, you, you can't just start preaching to people and telling them what they need to do. It's like they have to kind of open the door or ask. So that, that always was a, a dynamic that I struggled with um, because I would see people eating a full English breakfast <laughs> and not moving. And, you know, it's OK to have a full English breakfast, but it's what else do you do? Yeah, it's probably not the most helpful thing to do. Um. So that, that's where Fit20, I just saw a way of helping people to be healthier, um, fitter and stronger, and not just be rich, but to actually live long enough to enjoy the riches. Because what I was seeing in BNI was people working 20, 30, 40 years of their life at the expense of their health, making a ton of money, but then spending the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of their life trying to get their health back and spending all that money on that. And I thought if we could do something like Fit20, which for the usually time poor cash rich person who's starting in their 40s to have health issues i think one in two people have some sort of health condition like type 2 diabetes blood pressure cholesterol whatever it is over the age of 40 um, and there's only one way that's going if you start down the road of prescription medications rather than addressing upstream what the lifestyle choices are um, yeah yeah, so I, I looked into it. Um, I didn't think it could work. You know, when somebody tells you, oh, you only have to exercise 20 minutes a week and it will take care of a week's worth of exercise for you. You think that's great. But then the skepticism kicks in. Yeah, sounds too good, too good to be true, doesn't it? Yeah. So I, I went to Holland. I researched it. I tried the workout, um, studied up around it, met the team. And I thought, actually, this is really, really good. I think we need to do this because if we don't, somebody will take it and it will probably end up um, balance of probabilities being what they are it'll end up in the southeast um starting there and it will take a while to get to me so i'll have to wait to do my weekly work <laughs> brilliant so um being a master then so being a franchisee is one thing but as a master you're almost you're not quite a franchisor, but you're very similar, aren't you? In in, in the way that you need a head office team, to support franchisees, and it's it's a yeah, you're you're sort of making a lot more of the business decisions um, for for that country, obviously. What why why take that on? Uh, you know why not wait until they came over to the UK and then take up a, a franchise in your in your local location? Um, so this is a conversation Catherine and I had, and she felt and I agreed that we would do it in the way that we felt it needed to be done where the values and the culture of what we create would be aligned to what we value most and it would really enhance and complement what the essence of um, the values of the business are it sounds very woolly but we just didn't want somebody to do this um that we felt we could really do well yeah that's really cool that's good it's, it's good enough that's a good enough reason right um I, I think you know I said those 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 various reasons obviously the the main driver for you is the making a difference but it sounds like there's elements of 
having some control in there as well, or that sort of creep in, right? You want to have bit bit. You want to control the destiny to some degree, and and how that kind of looks. And I think that that's interesting. Um, when I think about people starting their own business or investing in a franchise, there's, I think there's almost a bit of a mixture of all of those elements in there. The, the new challenge piece is something as well, you know. Um, maybe they're all inherent in in everybody. Just so, certain things sort of shout a little bit louder in them. But um, no, that's, that's good. So, tell me a little bit more about the um the the program then. So, Fit Twenty, what actually? is that what does the end user actually get? Because I think on the face of it, when you look at fitness brands, you kind of go, okay, it's a gym or, or something like this. Right. So help, help me to understand a little bit more about fit 20. Yeah. yeah. When people look at what we do, they think, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's, it's a version of that. Um, and, and it's a great question. It's a really important question. And uh, I think you might be surprised by my answer, which is I hate answering that question. <laughs> And the reason I hate answering that, no, I don't hate it. Um, it's because in explaining it, it's not really getting across what it is. It's it's an experience. You know, if I, if I describe a chocolate cake versus you take a bite into that chocolate cake and you taste that cocoa and the bitterness and the sweetness or whatever it is, you know exactly what chocolate cake is. Yeah. And it's like that with Fit20. You've got to get into a studio and experience the workout. And it was that for me, because I thought, yeah, this all makes sense logically and intellectually in my head. But it's only when I did it, that I thought, oh, my God, this is incredible. So, you know, it's very hard to articulate that. Even the best communicators, I think, would struggle with. Um, but until someone can get into a studio to try it, I'll, I'll, I'll have a stab at Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's science based, first of all. That's the most important okay. thing to know that what you're doing is not something that somebody's conjured up on the back of a paper envelope in the hope that it will last. There are a lot of fads that come and go, particularly in the fitness and health sector. Um, so this is something that has stood and will continue to stand the test of time. Uh, and part of the reason for that is we were part of the longest and largest ever study in exercise science, six and a half years with 14,690 people. And it showed that if you do fit 20, you will see a 30 to 50% increase in your strength, regardless of whether you're in your 30s, 50s, or 70s, and regardless of whether you're male or female. Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? It will make you stronger. And strength is an inroad and a gateway into all the other body systems. In fact, the science now with the discovery of something called myokines, or myokines, depending on how you pronounce them, the thinking of muscles is more than just getting you around from a to b and carrying stuff around it's actually seen as an extension of the endocrine system so it's considered an organ um, as well so that backs up everything we've always said with the science so how does it actually work well dressed exactly as you are in your everyday clothes you can go into a fit 20 studio which is custom cooled to 17 degrees celsius and do what we call a super slow workout and you'll do five or six exercises using specialist equipment for safety as well as effectiveness and you just push this weight really slowly so if you could imagine my imaginary chest press machine here yeah. and you push out for 10 really slowly and there's a sensor that shows you the pace for the precision okay. effectiveness as well and before the technology was introduced we used to do it counting um, but the precision of the exercise has improved a lot now and you push out for 10 and without locking out because you get a sneaky rest there. Yeah. There's a marginal gain in loading by doing that. You go straight back again for 10, just breathing all the time. And I'm sort of pretending to shake here because that's the kind of intensity. I can imagine. Yeah. And without setting it down, just before you set it down, you change direction again. So again, there's another marginal gain in loading because there's no sneaky rest. So the joints and the weight are not stopping. And the reason you go slowly is that the momentum is minimized. Because if you just push something, it'll carry itself for a while. So again, there's a marginal gain in loading there. And you do this for one and a half to two minutes and the trainer is there to make sure you do it correctly and don't cheat or compensate. A, because you get full loading, so your muscles get a really deep workout, but B, also because it's safer. And C, because 
it's just done correctly to give you this optimal stimulus because the body has an incredible ability, ability, can't even say the word, ability to adapt. And when you provide the stimulus, it adapts. And in one and a half minutes, you exercise your arms and your chest. And like that, you do five exercises that target all the major muscle groups in the body. And you will know you've worked. But yeah. because you do the exercise slowly and it's air conditioned, you don't overheat, so there's no sweating. There's enough yeah. of a cooling effect. Um, and therefore, it's a genuine 20-minute workout. And it's always by appointment. And it becomes a habit for the rest of your life, like brushing your teeth. That as long as you do this, you maintain your strength. And as people age, they get weaker. But you won't. And you'll be stronger and stronger compared to everyone else your age. So hopefully you can get into your 80s, 90s, or even 100s and still be active and mobile and fit. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting because I uh, don't do it as much as I, I should all the time. I, I dive in and out, and sometimes that's down to illnesses and things like that. But when I do, I, I do yoga occasionally, and there's a uh, very similar exercises. Um, that I can't remember the the name of it now, but it's like a push up, ch- chaturanga, I think they call it, and it's just very slowly let yourself down to the ground. And then hold it there with my nose kind of like a couple of centimeters away and then push up again and and with the slow sort of speed. Um, So it's, it seems very similar to those kinds of exercises. And you do see people that are um, doing yoga for life. They are in their eighties and nineties and they're able to outperform me for sure. You know, um, in terms of their strength. Um, so you so, you've experienced uh, you've experienced the sort of intensity we replicate safely. It's, it's really tough. <laughs> yeah, but I've I've noticed the difference in in my 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 strength in my chest. I never used to be able to do sit uh, push ups properly, doing that consistently for 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 a few months, and you know I could I'd really notice the difference. And it's incredibly safe as well because the older you get, the more injuries and issues people turn up with. And the way we train, you know, we can train most people very safely. Um, and if we can't train them safely, we don't, you know, because they come to us to be improved and and helped. Is is there ever any cardio involved? Uh, yes. And, um, you know, we, we have lots of information on people think of cardio as something separate. It's not like you take your heart and your lungs and put them outside and train them. Because if you're going to push such a heavy weight or do that press up in really super slow um, pace, how are you supplying oxygen to those muscles? Yeah. There's cardio there. And with the type of exercise we do, there's this, what we call super cardio for up to an hour afterwards, it just carries on. So you do get that effect. In fact, post COVID, um, there were some papers that were published when people obviously after the bout of COVID wanted to go out and get fit and not, not be vulnerable to it in the same way, et cetera. Um, but exercising where you're breathing very hard would actually irritate the um, lining of your windpipe airways and make it worse and the recommendation was that you did strength type work to actually build up the body's resilience and then build on the heavy breathing high volume high impact high frequency stuff after that so really strength is the foundation cornerstone and even the government's advice is now moving towards that saying that you should incorporate strength training at least twice a week yeah there's a lot more research coming out, particularly once you hit your 40s, and especially for women, um, pre, post, perimenopausal. Um, strength training is absolutely crucial because it's that hormonal profile which affects everything else. Now, see, the the that that's where um, you, we, you told me this beforehand, and I thought, okay, cool, I'll, I'll carry on with the, the yoga and some of the calisthenics stuff um, that, I, that I was doing. But the problem is when you're doing something like a downward facing dog, all the all the snot goes straight into your head, and I feel so horrible, and I didn't want to do it to be honest. So that is definitely where I I I could see myself being more likely to want to get into fit fit twenty or something along those lines because you can use the machines, but in in a guided uh, professional way rather than what I used to do when I was in my twenties, just go just do some weights and do some runs and kind of have a bit of a plan but not really you know just have a kind of route that I did around the gym and that was it without really knowing what I was doing so um no it sounds sounds really good and um 
I'll be I'll be keeping my eyes open for when you're coming down in in this direction. But um, what's what, what's it like as a franchise or of a, a a new brand to a new new country? I, I I'd love to kind of find out what what's kind of your biggest challenges and um, what what are you enjoying about it. Uh, I love the difference it makes, as you've identified. Um, two people sometimes they know this is the right opportunity for them and we can set them off and they're off to a flyer. Other times people come with a block and it's different for everyone. And being able to help them see that and then unblock it and then they fly is is really fulfilling. Um, it, it has its challenges. Uh, I think for me, the biggest challenge is finding the right people that align with what yeah. Once there's that alignment, things work really, really well. So who's the right person? What's a, what's a good franchisee fit for um, Fit20? And I, and I mean in terms of their, their background and experience, but also their, their kind of motivations and drivers. Um, they have to have some sort of interest um, in health and wellness. Yeah. They need to have an inclination to want to help people. Those, those are two requirements. Um, they would have a reasonable degree of people skills. Yeah. You know, they need to be friendly. That makes sense. They don't need to be an extrovert, but they need to be, you know, you have to feel their heart a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to teach that stuff. <laughs> so it's better to just have them, you know, we'll train them on all the other stuff, but that stuff, if they bring it to the table, we can work with that. We just point them in the right direction. And they hopefully see the potential of what we're offering. Okay, excellent. And and how about their background? Do you see them coming coming from the health industry in particular or? No, not at all. Um, sometimes that can be actually a hindrance because they know too much that gets in the way. Um, although our first franchisee, Kieran in Leeds, he's got two locations, he's doing exceptionally well and he's got a very strong fitness background, but Kieran's very open-minded about stuff as well and he gets what we do so his background has complemented what he's done here yeah um it doesn't really matter about the background because what we do we teach you how to deliver the fit 20 side of it they need to have a decent work ethic um you know they need to be reasonably coachable and willing to learn no point investing in a franchise brand that's learned all the stuff you need to do to execute to be successful and then do the Frank Sinatra, I'll do it my way thing, you know. <laughs> Go do it yourself then, um, if you want to do that. Because that's a lot of the IP that you're investing in. You might as well use it to your advantage and not have to figure it out yourself. Yeah. Well, that's that's essentially the uh, profile, um, male, female. Uh, we're looking to attract more women into Fit20. Uh, we're a bit lopsided in terms of franchisees. Uh, more men than women, although the last um, three franchises we've started, two husband and wife teams and one uh, woman on her own. Okay. So we're starting to balance that out because I think women um, have a great contribution to make with what we do. I, I think it's a, a societal challenge as opposed to an individual franchise brands challenge, but this seems to be a... a, a a change in the tide anyway um which is is nice to see so um yeah hopefully it continues um you know half our target market is women right yeah exactly so we'd like half our franchisees to be seen as women <laughs> that the women will probably relate to more easily than the men it just makes makes sense doesn't it <laughs> so uh fantastic well anyway it's been great to get to know your your story um before we wrap up, I've got three questions that I'd like to ask you, though. Um, and the first one is, I'd love to know if there's any funny, strange or weird stories you've you've had in your career that you'd be you'd be happy to share. Yeah, so there are loads, um, but I don't know if I should share them. Um, <laughs> I did narrow down one. So back to the window cleaning and um, we knocked on a door and this lady opens the door sort of peeps around and we say oh do you want your windows done we'll do it for i don't know what it was 10 pounds for the front both floors and 20 pounds front and back and um, she's like yeah okay you got your own ladders yeah excellent so we do the front and she says knock on the door when you're done so 
We do the front, we knock on the door, she lets us through, we go to the back. And it, the backyard is a bit weird. It's kind of muddy, it's no garden. And there's a couple of old tires there that are really worn out with the metal showing through. Okay. So we're looking at 20 quid front and back. And nobody or very few people would let us the first time of knocking into their house to go through and then um, do the back. It usually be do the front. I'll try you for a couple of weeks, see how you are, and then you can do the back. So we're like, hey, this is great. So we're halfway up the ladders and we're doing the top bit and suddenly we hear this <clears throat> growling and two huge Rottweilers come out and oh, start no. thumping on these tyres, slobbering all over them. I think, okay, that explains the tyres and the yeah. back. And we're both at the back going, right, polish the windows. <laughs> and the lady sticks her head out after 10 or 15 minutes saying, you guys all right? So yeah, can you get rid of the dogs, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> stuck up the ladder for a while. <laughs> So she had the cleanest window she's ever and we never went back <laughs> no i don't blame you <laughs> it's uh it can be quite scary and intimidating can't it um there might have been very friendly dogs who knows well, but she uh... did say it's okay they're, they're friendly and i'm like they don't look friendly those tires do not look like they're friendly no <laughs> i don't want that to be my leg yeah i can get <laughs> i can understand brilliant so um so now let's let's find out um What's been the, the proudest moment of your career? And 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 I think there's been some really great achievements in there, but it'd be interesting to see what, what's your proudest or most inspiring moment. Um, yeah, look, it's uh, I love to make a difference. And I think our franchisees and their team of um, dedicated personal trainers uh, have a big element of that as well. Um, and, and there are lots of incredible stories where people are getting literally life-enhancing and life-changing results through their weekly Fit20 training. But I want to share an, an extreme example. There's a 95-year-old lady. She's the oldest person I'm aware of uh, that trains at Fit20 every single week. And wow. she is just, she's a legend. You know, we use the term inspiration so loosely and glibly, but she genuinely is inspiring because it makes me think, if I could be like her when I'm 95, I would have done pretty good. So she does a weekly Fit20 training and she does the full intensity. You know, she gets the full source and then she cycles back home. <laughs> awesome. How far does she live away? I'm not sure, but it's a, it's, it's a kilometre or two, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's not an insignificant distance. But, the, the re well, there are lots of reasons that's amazing. To be 95 and cycling without falling off and having that balance and coordination is incredible. But if you've ever been in a Fit20 studio and done what we call the leg press, you know, your legs can shake like anything. So yeah. she's clearly in great shape. And uh, I just hope that more people who are older carry on doing that sort of thing. Just have the energy to just get up every morning and say, yeah, I'm going to go and do that is, is something as well, right? Always smiling, always smiling um, and clearly very strong and strength changes everything. And then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, a really simple example of somebody who I think is in their 70s in our Exodus studio. Duncan was telling us this story. There's this chap. He was having a, I don't know, a six-month review or something for his training because we do that. And he picks up a pen off the bench and he drops it on the floor. And Duncan's thinking, what are you doing? And he bends down, squats, picks it up and puts it back on the table. He said, did you see that? And Duncan said, yes. I couldn't do that before my Fit20 training. I didn't have the strength or the coordination. Oh, so... <laughs> it's life-changing because you can now bend down and tie his laces otherwise you know it's that thing of you hear the groans and leaning on a chair and five different points of support before you can stand up it's fantastic so yeah inspiring yeah really cool love it so final question and um i think we've al already maybe covered this a little bit but i'd love to find out from you um, if you're sitting in front of somebody who's about to invest in a franchise, whether that's Fit20 or any others, and you're only allowed to give them one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be? Oh, great question. Um, well, I had a call with somebody just before this one. Okay. And I guess it's down to his questions. And he was trying to work out whether he could trust us. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's a really important thing for somebody to do, because if they don't trust you, they don't start. 
So for me, what I'm doing is I'm saying, what are your questions? Let's get to the real questions. You know, they ask you about the cash flow and how you fit out and what training and support yeah. and stuff. And that's, of course, important. But ultimately, they've got to feel that the person selling them their franchise or the people selling them their franchise are going to have their back. And you need to, in your way, get to the bottom of those interactions and discovery and the process of evaluating the franchise and the people to a point where, you know, you've got your bucket, which says, I'm still not sure versus the bucket that says, yes, I'm sure we, we need to have enough interactions and information with you to get you to the point of, yes, I believe I can do this with you and you will have my back. And, and you've got to feel also that you can do this because if you don't feel you can do it, you're not going to back yourself to the extent that you need to. So I'll skip, I'll try, trying to uh, work out whether or not you can build trust in the, in the franchise or I, I think that's an interesting piece of advice. Cause I, uh, I, I wonder how can you trust someone like, how can you develop that trust? And I, and appreciate, you know, multiple touch points, but in some ways that can be manufactured, right? Um, some people are, are, are smart enough to realize that that's the case. And so they will manufacture these situations. So, if you were if you were the franchisee, how would you what questions would you be asking to try and help you to build that trust? Now I'm asking you because you've you've you have been in our franchisee, right? And and you've been both sides of the coin. So it'd be interesting to to understand. I think there's a recipe for it, um, but trust is not permanent. Um, it takes one minor indiscretion to destroy it overnight, and it's very hard to build up. So it's built up over time, and the level of trust increases. Um, over time as well or can increase over time if yeah. you consciously work towards developing it um, so for a franchisee to build trust is I think you've got to come and see the facility and you know a, a business is the people in that business so you've yeah. got to get a feel for you know do they do they look honest do they look trustworthy do they look hardworking? and you can see the business case stack up because it's black and white you know what are the numbers the numbers tell the story and they don't lie uh, but then it's about the personalities, especially with a brand like Fit20 in the UK, where we're in the early growth phase and it is built around the personalities and the people. You know, they've got to look and look me in the eye and my wife Catherine in the eye and our head office team and think, do I trust them or don't I? Yeah. And over a period of interactions, they build that up. Um, and I think the number one way to build trust is do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Yeah. That that works for both sides, obviously. Um, I think, yeah, um, it's it's such a difficult, delicate thing, isn't it? Trust to try and build it, like you say, it's it's something to be nurtured and 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 developed over time, but continue to be looked after. That's yeah, it, it's given me a different way to kind of view and think about that. Actually, it's not just about kind of you, you can't answer it in one question, can you? You can't ask one question and get that. That right it's something that's nurtured and developed so uh no fantastic i really appreciate um you sharing that with us Niri, and for sharing your career and for answering my all of my questions it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and um yeah i wish you all the best in in bringing fit 20 to the rest of the uk and um when it's down in my neck of the woods i'll be um i'll be sure to check it out it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me here and keep doing the great work i think it's fantastic what you're doing <laughs> thanks so much Niri have a good day take care now thanks Ed alright so there we go that was my conversation with Niri Patel the UK master franchisee for Fit20 and um, yeah really interesting guy really interesting story he's he's got in his career and um, really interesting what he's into to nowadays um, uh, Fit20 I think like he said it's, it's something you can't perhaps totally understand until you've experienced stuff. I feel like I've had a little bit of a flavor of it because some of the exercises I'm doing myself um, seem to be similar to, to what what Neri was telling me um, Fit20 is all about. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to them coming down my neck of the woods and um, yeah, you know, giving, giving it a go and seeing what it's all about. Um, but I think that, that the thing that really made it interesting for me, that conversation was the connection between his experience with BNI in business and, and helping founders and business owners 
um, to succeed and the the kind of stuff he was doing in the background with with health and wellness and I think it's all too easy to, for us um, to forget about our, 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 our well our mental health and our, our physical health as well when we're trying to build businesses when you're out there um, you know trying as hard as you can to generate revenue so that you can pay the bills at the end of the month right that's it feels like that's the key focus, but the problem is, and it's quite a common trend at the moment or common theme at the moment is, um, you know, your, your fitness is a big part of um, your body and how it, it interacts and so is your mind, so is your brain, you know, um, so that, that needs looking after as well. And if you don't look after yourself, um, what was it Neri said, you know, you're, you're working hard to make lots of money, but at the expense of your body. And that's, that's not a good place to be for anybody uh, further down the line. So trying to find that balance makes sense. And if you can do that in 20 minutes a day, uh, 20 minutes a week, I think is, is what Neri was saying there. You know, that's, um, that's fantastic. So yeah, I'm really interested in the, in the brand and what they're doing. I'm really interested in what Neri's doing out there as well. So, um, Hopefully you found something interesting and useful in the conversation as well. Um, if you did, please, please give us a little like or um, give us a, a rating on Spotify or Apple, wherever you may be listening. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, the franchise, check out www.thefranchise.com. Uh, that's my company uh, where I help franchisors uh, to, to get the word out there about their brands. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening and I hope to catch you on the next one. Bye bye.